0: Hey, Pam, uh, I had the opening gag written down. Do you know what happened to it? No, I I got no idea. Uh, Hey, what's this note? Huh. Dear sirs, your writing is trash. I'm stealing it to keep you from besmirching my name. Signed, Lupin. Wow. You know what the worst part is? What? I think he's right. (laughs) Ouch. Ouch. There are too many cartoons, but they'll watch, watch them all! The Pemi and James Kinda-Sorta-Hopefully funny, funny Cartoon Podcast! Hello everyone, I'm James Irish. And I'm Pembroke W. Corgi! Welcome once again to the Pemi and James Kinda-Sorta-Hopefully Funny Cartoon Podcast, and this episode is kind of a change of plans.
1: Loop on the Third! Sorry.
0: <laughs> yeah, originally we had Sailor Moon written in for the spot, but we have a specific guest with a unique story to tell that ties in with that fandom who couldn't make it on. So we're delaying that episode for a while, and hopefully her busy schedule will lighten up so we can make it happen. After all, I kind of promised that episode to her. So instead we have Loop the Third! Sorry. So instead, we went from one landmark anime to another, with wildly different tones between them.
1: Lupin the Third, oh, sorry, I'm. You can tell
0: my co-host is a massive fan. (laughs) It is my favorite anime. (laughs) Our story begins not with the third, but with Lupin the First, or rather Arsène Lupin, a French gentleman thief created by author Maurice Leblanc in 1905, which ran for roughly 30 years across dozens of publications in both novel and novella formats from his pen. Multiple stories would follow posthumously, both from LeBlanc's archives and from other creators, and in a wide variety of formats, including encounters with Sherlock Holmes that wound up involved in real-life legal issues over copyright. Uh, Hold on a second. Okay, I don't think Chrissy heard me say Sherlock Holmes, so I think we're good. Wait, does that mean if we ever do Sherlock Holmes in the 23rd century, we have to get Chrissy involved? I think that goes without saying. (laughs) Arsene Lupin is not precisely a household name today, but to literate fans of crime fiction, I imagine he casts a long shadow, aided no doubt by that top hat he's frequently pictured as wearing. Top hats need to come back in style. One such fan was apparently mangaka Kazuhiko Kato, who gave the French gentleman a grandson for what was intended to be a three-month project, Lupin III, after having read 15 of LeBlanc's stories himself.
1: Short series,
0: they say. (laughs) His editor for the magazine, Weekly Manga Action, suggested he use the pen name Monkey Punch to apparently go with his mix of Japanese and Western styles and influences. Kazuhiko was a fan of Mad Magazine, for instance. And
1: if you ever see the Lupin manga, it, it shows.
0: <laughs> Kazuhiko didn't really care for the name, but he figured he'd do it for the three months of the Lupin story. Except, as I'm sure you can all see coming, Lupin was so popular that his three-month run was extended into what would become a long-running series, including multiple manga volumes, seven anime series, 11 animated feature-length films, multiple live-action adaptations, annual television specials, and much, much more. It's a
1: very popular series. Definitely seems to be the
0: flagship show for uh, TMS. Kazuhiko has lived with the Monkey Punch name ever since then, and I imagine he just got used to it.
1: It happens. I mean, well, not a pen name. Uh, Charles Schultz wasn't exactly a fan of the name Peanuts, and, well, you saw what happened with that.
0: (laughs) Yep. It goes without saying that Lupin & Co. still resonates strongly in Japanese culture, pretty much an institution at this point, point. and thanks largely to airings on Adult Swim and elsewhere, the property has a foothold abroad as well. Not bad for a rubber-faced loon who tends to get killed at the end of his stories in the manga and just comes back fresh as a daisy for the next one. He doesn't always get killed, but it happens sometimes. So, for this podcast... We're looking at Lupin's second anime series, which ran for 155 episodes over the course of three years. Yes, do the math on that one, folks. They ran a new episode a week, each week, only preempted for obligatory New Year's programming and election coverage. It's pretty
1: impressive. It's impressive it's animated as well as it is considering, which is... Interesting because the original series wasn't hugely popular when it first aired, but got really popular in reruns, kind of like Star Trek. Mm-hmm. And I didn't expect to actually tie those two together.
0: <laughs> logical though, most logical, James. The second loop of the third series is one of the strongest runs of the works made for television, nicknamed the Red Jacket series as a nod to the outfit Lupin wears in it as opposed to the green jacket of the first series and so on, it was made by TMS Entertainment as, as Pemi said, a response to the popularity of reruns of said first series. The show presents the continuing globetrotting escapades of the titular eccentric gentleman thief and his various associates, crackshot snarker Daisuke Jigen, master swordsman Goemon Ishikawa the 13th, who is the descendant of the Sengoku-era bandit, and the Bond Girl-esque, Diana Rigg-inspired, femme fatale, Fujiko Mine. Now, question for you, Pemi. Hmm. Was she, in fact, named after Mount Fuji because of, um... That seems to be the... seems to be the, uh, rumor. (laughs) Yeah. And all this while Interpol Inspector Zenigata is constantly close behind looking to put all of them in jail. Though
1: he has on occasions made deals with Fujiko in order to get at Lupin directly. Fujiko is not one to
0: not sell out her friends when needed. Taking a lighter tone than the first series, this quintet deal with all manner of madcap capers with wild riches, powerful antagonists, and all kinds of twists and turns.
1: And surprisingly references the pop culture both in Japan and America as well. There's even an episode that references the Pink Panther movies, of all things.
0: Considering who Zenigata might be easily compared to, that actually makes some sense. Which is
1: funny, because according to Monkey Punches, his inspiration for Zenigata was actually Tom from Tom and Jerry. Yeah, Cat and Mouse. Explains why he's so fanatical about everything. <laughs>
0: yeah. Kind of makes him more like Wile E. Coyote to a certain extent.
1: Yeah. It is worth mentioning, though, of all the characters, if (laughs) Senegata is unfortunately the one the anime presents the least consistently, personality-wise. He's sometimes just played as a joke and sometimes played actually competent. Depends on who's directing.
0: Now, just to add to the historical impact of this series, the 99th episode of it is the first anime episode of any series to be broadcast in stereo. It's quite an accomplishment. We'll get in more into the character dynamics, but we've got a lot of material to do here. So let's uh, let's actually go over the original Japanese voice cast, because these guys have done some interesting other things, and some of them have been on this series for a long time. <laughs> Our hero, as it were, Lupin himself, is performed by Yasuo Yamada, a veteran actor who also dubbed dialogue for personalities ranging from Clint Eastwood. To Kermit the Frog. That's quite the uh, range. It's been observed that he bore some resemblance to Lupin. And it's speculated that might be why he was cast. Now, Jaden's performer is Kiyoshi Kobayashi. And he would be the character's only performer until his retirement in 2021. That's a long run. Yeah. Wow, that's almost up there with Frank as uh, Fred Jones. Mm Mm-hmm. His other roles include Death Note's Watari and the Japanese voice of Tex Avery's beloved MGM Cartoons character, Droopy.
1: I need to find some Japanese Droopy dubs
0: now. <laughs> I'm having a lot of trouble picturing that in my head now. Makio Enoi would inherit the role of Goemon from Chikao Otsaku for this series, and would continue to perform the character until 2011. Akio's other famous role is the titular character of Captain Harlock. Thumbs up. You can't see see it, but I'm giving a thumbs up right now. Back when I first got into anime, I was a huge fan of Harlock. So, Eiko Masayuma, who also voiced the original Cutie Honey and was the Japanese voice of Judy Jetson, is the performer for Fujiko Mine. And finally, Inspector Zenigata is voiced by Gorō Naya, who was dubbed over Clark Gable and is also known for the roles of Crocus in One Piece and the great boss in the Tokusatsu series Kamen Rider. Nice. So yeah, these guys got around. It's an
1: all-star cast in the original Japanese version.
0: Now, this first episode we're going to be looking at is from the Adult Swim era dub, which was handled under license by the North American division of Genion which is now part of NBC Universal Entertainment Japan, and it bears some mentioning that this is a very good illustration of one of the reasons the whole dubbing versus subtitles debate will forever rage in anime circles.
1: Yeah, they definitely do what uh, I've seen multiple people refer to as punch up the script.
0: This translation takes a great many liberties with the mainstream American audience in mind. The band Bon Jovi, just for one example, and it even formed when the series first aired on Nippon TV. And yet, we get a joke referencing them.
1: Uh, there's one episode that actually references eBay, so that gives you some idea of...
0: yeah. <laughs> when Adult Swim didn't option more episodes, these sorts of gags just about go away. Though adding gags where lines were played straight in the original Japanese, or just to make the dialogue work better for a Western ear, still occurred. The result is one of the more divisive dubs in anime fandom. But if nothing else, I think these actors do great work with the material they're given.
1: Yeah, I think they're a really good cast. Most of them are still doing the newer Lupin stuff. The only uh, one that got recasted, if I remember right, is Zenigata because his
0: uh, English voice actor retired. So who are these actors? Well, taking on the dub for Lupin in this run is Tony Oliver would do many more iterations of the series, as well as being known for Lancer in Fate Stay Night, and Rick Hunter in Robotech, the Macross Saga. And he does a pretty darn good job as
1: as Lupin, I think. He can be both comical and uh, maniacal, for lack of better
0: words. Jigen is dubbed by Richard Epcar, who has over 1,000 credits to his name, ranging from Joseph Joestar of JoJo's Bizarre Adventures to Mr. Noisy from the Mr. Men and Little Miss cartoons and from Dong Zhuo in Dynasty Warriors, titles 4 through 8 to be precise, to the title character of bo 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 That's a range of tones. <laughs> yes. And uh, just want to say that uh,
1: as someone who has seen Jojo's Bizarre Adventure, Joseph Joestar is the best Jojo.
0: Just throwing that out there. Goemon is picked up by Lex Lang, who has done turns as comic characters ranging from Robin on Batman, the brave and the bold to Dr. Doom in one of the animated iterations of the Avengers on top of dubbing the parts of Marichio in bleach and toe line in transformers, robots in disguise. Good stuff.
1: It's, it's also surprising when you see someone who's voicing both like anime and American productions. That doesn't happen that often, honestly, or not enough in my opinion.
0: Speaking of Bleach, that anime's English voice for Rukia, Michelle Ruff, lends her pipes to Fujiko. Ruff's other famous roles include Jill Valentine, Cream the Rabbit, and Yuki in the melancholy of Haruhi Suzumiya.
1: Wait, she was Faye Valentine? That's...
0: Jill Valentine.
1: Oh, Jill Valentine. Sorry. From Resident Evil. Yeah. Sorry. I thought you said Faye Valentine from, like, Cowboy Bebop. That would have been a... That would have been hilariously ironic.
0: <laughs> Keep Cowboy Bebop in mind.
1: <laughs>
0: Finally, Dan Lorch picks up Zenigata's tantrums. And I couldn't find much else that he'd done. No, but he does a pretty
1: good job as uh, the more comedic take of Zenigata. Mm-hmm. Complete with his... Uh, kind of giving him a catchphrase in this dub of... Crap, crap, crap,
0: crap! So, are we ready to move on to our episode? I think so. This is The Slate Before Christmas, which originally aired on Nippon TV on December 19th, 1977, and on Adult Swim on January 30th, 2003. It's not often we get debut dates for these.
1: Also, I thought it would have been pronounced The Slight Before Christmas.
0: Well, I've I've seen it spelled both ways, slate and slight.
1: I I just figured that would make more sense joke-wise, but eh.
0: Yeah, I was just going with the spelling I was handed. Yep. So, Bordeaux, France, is where the episode begins, where we overlook the vineyards, while a news reporter describes the vintage commissioned by Napoleon for his wife, about to be presented to the president of the U.S. Lupin and crew are watching the report with natural interest, and Lupin jokes you might as well give a Ferrari to a ring-tailed ferret. Wow. Now, if this is supposed to still be in the 70s... That's a jab at Jimmy Carter. If this was intended to be modern to the Adult Swim airing, it's a jab at Bush the Second. Either way, it's par for Lupin's flippant course.
1: Well, uh, considering the imitation they go with later, it's neither, but we'll get yeah. to that later.
0: <laughs> Jagin and Goemon verbally spar over the merits of wine and sake, and the westernization of this particular dub shines very brightly. That's heaven in a glass, I'm guessing. Come now. Surely you don't prefer that stuff to sake. It's called sake because it tastes like you wrung it out of your tube socks. And another thing, man, don't call me Shirley. Fujiko thinks making wine for your lover is romantic, and she'd be putty in the hands of whoever would do it.
1: So, of course, Lupin's going to steal that wine just to impress Fujiko. But uh I do want to say that I'm kind of siding with Goemon on this. I've never had a taste for wine, but... You can get me to drink a little sake every now and then, even if Jigen thinks it tastes like it came out
0: of your tube sock. So Jigen asks the natural question of how, but the sly one with the sideburns already has a plan and toasts with Fujiko. Now, for the curious, Jigen refers to a Bill W. with regards to this wine converting any non-believer. And that Bill W. is Bill Wilson, co-founder of Alcoholics Anonymous. To their credit, that's a pretty smart ref. Mm Mm-hmm. So after the title card, we turn to Paris, where Inspector Zinagata is miserably chewing stale bread and drinking bad wine, joking that with food like this, it's no wonder France can't win a war.
1: He he also makes a comment about how he wished he could have a double cheeseburger, which I'm pretty sure is not the original line.
0: (laughs) Uh, hey, Inspector, Interbol Headquarters is in France. Have some respect for your bosses! It's also worth mentioning that, uh, in the original Japanese, this line of dialogue is a reference to uh, body and blood of Christ. Well, in their defense, I can understand why they changed that. I, 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 I wasn't even going to uh, say anything because I agree. I can see why they changed that too. That kind of reference never flies on a Turner own network. Just ask the creators of Aqua Teen Hunger Force. Besides
1: it's okay to make fun of the French. <laughs>
0: So as the inspector falls over laughing and says he'd kill for fast food, a letter is slid under the door. It's Lupin telling Pops he's going to go for the wine. And P.S. Don't you ever take that coat off? Oh yeah, we,
1: we should probably mention that Lupin has the, uh, quotations, affectionate nickname of calling Zenigata Pops.
0: In his rage at the taunt, Zenigata knocks the bread into a car's windshield. Literally.
1: Yeah, right through it. The- <laughs> That's some rough bread.
0: I hope dentists in France get paid handsomely. Oh, can't see how it'd be more than they get paid here. So, at the Bordeaux countryside, the gang are admiring the scenery, and Lupin waxes poetic on wine's history, when Goemon spots Zenigata arriving.
1: This is when we get led into what Lupin's plan is. Tell Zenigata what he's going to do, follow Zenigata to the wine. hmm <laughs>
0: Pops is angrily begging to be on the security detail, saying he's the only one who can catch Lupin. But the chief he's talking to asks the natural follow-up. Why hasn't he? It is a fair question. Still, he's allowed in and led to the wine as the chief gets Zenegata's name wrong, and will continue to do so through the episode. Inspector Origami. And that's the gang's cue to move in. Hiding in wine barrels in a truck as Lupin loudly admires Fujiko's assets. Yeah, seemingly like he wasn't the only one. Yeah, even Goemon's caught looking.
1: To Goemon's credit, at least he's a little more, uh, less vulgar about it.
0: So, Lupin drives the trio while masked as an older man, and drives right up to the chief and the inspector, and Lupin and Pops proceed to ham it up, as the former sees how silly he can make the latter look. Bon me. g Lupin sneaks in by convincing the guards to help him move a wine delivery to the cellar, but Zenigata spots them and insists on an inspection. Fortunately, each member of the gang had a bottle of wine on hand, so they pass and are sent to the cellar. To, to the cred, that's a clever way to get them through there. Lupin does almost give them away by telling the guards to slow down and not let them get dizzy, but passes it off as him having said fizzy. Yeah, it's good for champagne, but not so good for this stuff. The guards leave, and Lupin signals his cohorts that all is clear. As they observe that the cool, dank cellar allows the wine to age without spoiling, Goemon figures this must be where Dick Clark lives. You know, fair. <laughs> and you also know, you could put that gag in so many years, and it would still work. E. America's oldest teenager, folks. R.I.P. Oh, Dick yeah. Clark. So as the gang tries to figure out which of the hundreds of bottles to check, Zenigata suddenly appears and reveals he knew they were setting him up and hoisted them by their own whatever they're called, by leading them to the wrong place. Petard! It's a petard!
1: I actually thought that dub line was actually pretty good.
0: (laughs) With little else to use, Goemon starts flooding the room with wine, and the others join in, realizing it's not a horrible tactic. That's a lot of wine. Oh, this harness is too tight! It's going to chafe! can you loosen it? Oh, it hurts and it's so nasty! Why didn't you clean it first? It's gonna leave a stain the wagon's getting heavy! Why do I have to pull it? No, no, not, 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 not that kind of wine. I
1: thought you wanted whining.
0: They get away via the threat of lighting the wine ablaze and Zenegada is left surrounded by wine-drunk Frenchmen not willing to give chase.
1: And begrudgingly joins in.
0: They're not the only ones drunk. Lupin must have got more than he could handle because his driving is clearly impaired, even though he won't admit it. At least they got home safe. And Back for break, both he and Goemon are hungover, as Jigen calls them, lightweights. You know what? Interesting fact. In all
1: my years of alcohol drinking, I have never once been hung over. Impressive. Yeah. It ticks off so many of my friends.
0: <laughs> the verbal war of the sake continues, while we also find Zenegata nursing his own hangover, completely unable to enjoy his rare success with the boisterous chief.
1: Who's uh, praising him for actually for actually saving the wine, which, of course, Zenigata's like... I don't remember what he calls Zenigata in this scene, but Zenigata's like... <laughs> he says, I believe it ge-?
0: was Inspector Pennsylvania <laughs>
1: He's like Chief will you like get my name right If I promise not to puke on your shoes
0: So Zanagata agrees To help escort the wine across the Atlantic And it's for that escort We turn now to an airport Where Lupin is scouting out the intense Security as Pops and the Chief arrive with the wine I do have to say that the French Chief of Police Is pretty okay with how much wine they lost There <laughs> Fujiko, meanwhile, spots an unmarked crate being loaded on, and the gang decides that's interesting. So disguising herself as a flight attendant, she asks the cargo driver what it was, and he only knows it's for the U.S. president. A Christmas present, to be exact. Mm -hmm. The group decides to snatch that as well, and Lupin describes his plan as the anime crossfades to a little later on. This is what we call an unspoken plan guarantee. The less we know about a character's plan, the less we can expect to go wrong with it. You can't subvert an expectation if there's no expectation. Yep. All we're told is Goemon is taking an earlier flight. So a bit later, Zenigata is greeted by a disguised Jigen as a pilot, Fuchiko still an attendant, and Lupin himself, a tackily dressed passenger, who all gleefully mess with him while Pops mispronounces Bonjour as... Yes, like we alluded to earlier, Bon Jovi.
1: You can't avoid the obvious jokes sometimes. Or the the low-hanging fruit, as they say.
0: Neither he nor the chief suspect a thing as the plane lifts off, and Jigen jokes with the other pilot. So, in mid-flight, Fujiko escapes a flirtatious Zenigata as the trio on the plane execute their plan, filling the cabin with sleeping gas.
1: I just want to say that that wine must still be getting to old Pops if he's, like, being that openly
0: flirtatious. (laughs) The sleeping gas works as the plane makes it to New York and the group finds Goemon driving a truck, which Jigen spots as Goemon signals them with his... his... wine cloth? Hey, you know,
1: samurai's gotta do what a samurai's gotta do. Well,
0: as if we needed any more proof that this show didn't take itself seriously. I'm more concerned how Jigen instantly
1: recognized that.
0: <laughs> yeah, that too. The gang lands the plane right on the road, and Goemon uses a forklift to grab the mystery cargo while the others fetch the wine.
1: Not, it, gonna, not gonna mention how, like, it suddenly looks like they're in
0: Arizona. <laughs> I was just getting there. Oh, sorry. Because, actually, it's at this point you get a, the clearest look at your surroundings, with desert terrain that would almost fit in on a Roadrunner cartoon. Meep, me. The explanation for this jump to there from New York? Somebody in Japan clearly has no idea of American geography. But! I've seen U.S. cartoons from the late 90s depicting sumo wrestlers on the Great Wall of China. So if nothing else, these inconsistencies are strangely consistent.
1: Either that or that sleeping gas is, uh, has long active abilities and they took a wrong turn at Albuquerque.
0: <laughs> Zenegata finally wakes up and realizes what happened with another note from Lupin attached to a cheap bottle of wine. But the chief thinks Pop saved the day a second time.
1: Yep, mistaking the cheap wine for the original. Oh, uh, no true Frenchman. Either that or uh, Lupin stuck a very convincing label on it.
0: Yeah. So at the White House, President Carter opens the wrong bottle, sounding far more like Bill Clinton than either Carter or Bush.
1: Which uh, is kind of a weird choice because, one, Bush was the president at the time. And two, I think that character would work, the character they drew would work better for Jimmy Carter or Bush <laughs> than it would Bill Clinton.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, Clinton's got that uh, potato-shaped head.
1: Yeah. Like, I could look at that, and if they did do a George W. imitation, I would have been like, yeah, sure. (laughs) But I I think Clinton's just the president people seem to like to imitate the most. Or maybe it was the only one they had on staff.
0: As Zenegata nearly freaks out, it turns out the assembled love the wine. And they don't notice a difference. Lucky Zenigata. Yeah. He faints with relief as Lupin and company laugh their butts off watching this on TV. So they toast with their 200-year-old wine which has turned oh. into 200-year-old vinegar.
1: Ew. I'm not even a fan of wine and just... Ew.
0: <laughs> yeah. Pyrrhic victory on both fronts. Zenigata has to live with, with knowing that he failed again. But Lupin and company get the worst possible outcome on the wine.
1: I do like, I do like Fujiko's line. It's like, is this one of those Tales of the Magi thing? Because I hate that story.
0: <laughs> but as for the mystery crate, turns out they were a donation of French dolls for poor kids. No! Oh, Zenigata's is roasting them over the coals on TV for the theft. But fortunately for Lupin, he's already acting to correct the mistake. Dropping them all by a flyby plane on parachutes, no less. Yep. Admitting he enjoys giving things out for a change. And the episode ends with Merry Christmas to all, and to all a good heist. I I just hope none of those uh, dolls land in the street and get hit by cars. I wonder if any of those dolls is named Sue. (laughs) Or is for Sue. Ah.
1: Well, you know, it's not every day you get to see Lupin dolled
0: up. (laughs) Okay, we're going to take a short commercial break, and when we return, things get even more interesting. Hi, everyone. James Irish here once again. Normally, this is where we promote what our next episode is going to be, but it's actually going to be a month until then. And a couple of things are a little up in the air with the schedule. But I can tell you right now, you can expect over the coming year to see our Disney coverage begin in full effect. We will also be covering such shows as Huckleberry Hound, the Grant Ray Lawrence Marvel Superheroes Show, and a great many more. So in the meantime, if you've been enjoying the podcast, if you're watching on YouTube, make sure to like, subscribe, comment, all the usual stuff. And if you're on a podcatcher that supports ratings, leave us a review. We greatly appreciate it. Thank you so much for staying with us. We love each and every one of you. For today's other episode, Wings of Death, Albatross, or Albatross Wings of Death, depending on who's translating. This one is interesting because it was localized and dubbed strictly for the home video market for a 1994 release by Streamline Pictures along with episode 155, Farewell, My Beloved Lupin. Yeah, it got released both separately and together.
1: It's kind of weird. I originally had both of them on separate, like, tapes, and then they released them both together, and I'm like,
0: Son of a... (laughs) So, why these two episodes? I can sum it up in two words. Hayao Miyazaki. The founder of Studio Ghibli. The illustrious and celebrated creator of so, so many famous films via Studio Ghibli got his start as a director for the second Lupin movie, 1979's The Castle of Cagliostro, which really deserves its own episode, so we won't dive too deeply into it here. It's also one of my favorite movies ever. And he would direct these two episodes as well under the pseudonym Terakomu.
1: But uh, if you've seen much of his stuff, you can tell his style is all over both of these. Also, they have a bit more polish animation-wise compared to... The general episode.
0: So with his name growing in in fame with the burgeoning anime fandom in the U.S. in the 90s, Streamline jumped on just those two episodes, as well as the the movie, Castle of Cagliostro.
1: Yeah, the only other thing they released was Mystery of Mamo, which is a completely different direction from any of these things.
0: (laughs) And naturally, these also have an entirely different cast for the dub. So, here's another cast breakdown for you folks. Bob Bergen, who had just begun his tenure as the voice of Porky Pig during the run of Tiny Toon Adventures a few years ago, is the first American voice of Lupin the Third. And hey, our friends on That's Not Quite All Folks did a podcast with him recently. Go check it out. Well, technically, I guess he's the first voice for Lupin the Third, if you don't count the uh, cliffhanger arcade machine. More on that in a bit. Jagan's voice is performed by Steve Bulin, whose other major roles are arguably SureShot and Onslaught on the original Transformers cartoon, while Goemon is voiced by Steve Kramer, otherwise known for Carlos in Cowboy Bebop, Shun Sui in Bleach, and several Monsters of the Week in the American Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. I, I, for,
1: oh, I forgot to mention something about uh, Epcar earlier there's a Funimation dub of two or three Lupin movies where uh, Epcar plays uh, Zenigata instead of uh, Jigen, which is oh,
0: interesting. interesting.
1: I, I just found that out before we recorded this and I'm like, Oh, I actually haven't seen the dub of those. I should check that out just to see how that works. Um, also, it's just interesting that uh, of having Bob Bergen as Lupin, because it, I mean, when else do you hear that someone who did the voice of a Lupin Cause he's still Porky Pig now. And it's just interesting hearing someone who's in something as high level as Looney Tunes
0: character dubbing, I mean, character voice acting, being in an anime. And Bob wanted to continue performing the character, but when he heard the dub from Genion would be non union, he ultimately passed. Understandably so. Yeah. Performing Fuchiko is Eddie Merman, who lent her voice to several Digimon characters and was Barca and Ursula. Streamlined stub of Kiki's delivery service. And finally, Zenigata is voiced by David Poval, who's also done live action works for both the United States and Mexico.
1: See. Another Miyazaki thing you'll notice is Zenigata is also played a lot more competently in this episode.
0: Oh yeah.
1: There was one more thing I was wanting to mention about the just the second series in all that I didn't think about earlier. The second series is where the Lupin theme it came from, because the theme song that's been kind of unanimous, it's considered just the official theme song of Lupin. It's the one that everyone thinks of when they think of Lupin came from the second TV series. Cause which is for the better. Cause the theme songs used in the first TV series
0: were not great. <laughs> hmm. So with that being said, here we go with wings of death, Albatross originally aired on July 28th, 1980.
1: Oh, I was just also going to say, I like the intro in this one. Uh, it's got the, I like the cute gag with the uh, lupin' puppets.
0: <laughs> so hold out in a small trailer in the wilderness, it's just the guys preparing food for themselves. Fujiko had directed them to that locale, and without her, the boys will be boys, fighting over the food. Uh, the food they're making is uh, sukiyaki, which is quite good, I will say. Just then, the missing mall dashes in, guns a-blazing. And Lupin asks if she wants a doggy bag as she bolts out the window as her pursuers open fire on the trailer. Then lob grenades in!
1: Old-school grenades, I might
0: add. <laughs> this escalated quickly.
1: Good thing everybody was able to get out of that trailer in time.
0: <laughs> she bolts in Lupin's car as her pursuers keep up the chase while still keeping Lupin off their trail. And as he protests and watches his car go up and smoke in the distance, Jigen notices she left them something in the food.
1: I do want to say that I i don't know why, but I, I love the scene where Lupin just kicks the grenade and says, Get out of my face!
0: <laughs> Whatever this thing is, the people pursuing her want it as she's stripped down to her birthday suit!
1: They are tasteful for it, for all things considered. <laughs>
0: Needless to say, they don't find it. Well, nothing left to do but the full-body cavity search. Ouch. No, no, this isn't Wayne's World. (laughs) As a bald, portly man believes it was left with wolf, which is the localized name for Lupin in this specific dub, though Fujiko will still occasionally call him Lupin.
1: Yeah. They they go back and forth on it. Uh, In Cagliosho, they only called him Wolf, but I think once they started doing the other stuff, the... Licensing got a little less restraint, for lack of better words. So they kind of flipped between Wolf and Lupin.
0: Yeah, the estate of LeBlanc did have some quibbles over the use of the Lupin name.
1: To the point to where Animago released two uh, Lupin movies as Rupon the Third.
0: And this is ironic considering the issues, the original Lupin stories where he crossed over with Sherlock Holmes... Ran into similar fates.
1: As well as a, another series I'm sure we'll talk about later.
0: This mystery man believes that Lupin won't be able to cash it in, so they'll inevitably try to bring it back to them. And when he does. Ha 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 ha! Exact quote. I, I know this predates
1: the character I'm going to mention by a long, long amount, but am I the only one that's getting Dr. Robotnik vibes from this guy?
0: Oh no. After the title drop, Lupin and company are are on a boat as our man figures out what it is. An atomic bomb. Jigen speaks for all of us as he doubles back in shock. There's two things I hate. It's garlic
1: and radiation burns.
0: <laughs> in the original Japanese, he thinks Lupin is telling a bad joke. Fortunately for them all, it's only the detonator. But Lupin is impressed with the miniaturization. He believes the actual bomb could be nearly as small per scale, and Goemon says in the original text that it's for the black market, and in the dub, he merely states absolute power. Either version fits, honestly. And cheap to produce! Given Japan's history with the bomb, it's no wonder our protagonists want nothing to do with it and want to shut the thing down.
1: Yeah. As Jigen says, I don't care much about politics, but I sure don't want to have to worry about nuclear bombs in my
0: backyard. Lupin asks Jigen where this sort of thing can be done without arousing suspicion. And thinking it over, they settle on the Lonebach Aircraft Museum, a privately held facility.
1: Uh, another thing you can tell that Miyazaki's directing this is unlike the previous, version, the previous episode where they would show Jigen's eyes, Miyazaki rarely will do that. <laughs> he keeps them pre-covered.
0: So later on, a morning at some point, a plane is inbound, and we find our mystery bald man is, in fact, Mr. Lonebock. Of course, Zenegata is at the helm of this plane as it comes in hot and heavy and nearly bowls over Lonebock.
1: Grand, when Zenegata gets out of the plane, if you're really watch, you can notice a little hint on what's going on, as you can see who the actual pilot of the plane is.
0: Mm-hmm. Zenigata says he got a tip about Lupin, and Lohnbach protests that all he has is old airplanes, so Zenigata has to figure out what's going on. He spots Lonebach's men restoring the episode's titular Albatross, an old German seaplane. And in the plane's office, Zenigata admires the work Lonebach has done, and the latter says he wants it airborne again. Uh, there's a boatload of space here. Enough room for atom bombs, you'd say. Surprise! It's Lupin in disguise. He removes his mask, and Lombok's men come in, but the boss calls them off. Lupin reveals the detonator, but crushes it, saying the real one's hidden until a deal can be reached.
1: Which Lombok reveals his bargaining chip of, well, Fujiko.
0: (laughs) She's unharmed, and only slightly more dressed, and Lupin gets an ashtray in the face for his leering should have at least given her some pants. Uh, Lupin won't make a simple trade, claiming she gets him in enough trouble. So she's reconcealed behind the secret panel, and in drives the real Zenigata. It
1: seemed Lubach was smart enough to uh, verify that call he got.
0: Yeah, and Pops confirmed he didn't place it, so he's showing up to deal with Lupin. The thief barely gets away on the tail of, of the seaplane that, that Jagan was piloting. Pops steams, and Lonebok laughs. So now our villain checks in on Fujiko trying to pick the lock, and he boasts about his efforts to make the albatross fly once more. Fujiko has shown his entire stockpile of bombs. Lonebok has been very busy. Uh, Quite the
1: plan he's got here.
0: Yeah, via the albatross, Lonebok can go directly to the buyer and make the bombs right on the plane. And with all the money he plans to make off this scheme... He wants to marry Fujiko. Oof.
1: <laughs> he's not worth it, guy. I'll just tell you that
0: right now. <laughs> I don't think either of them are worth each other.
1: No. Hey, at least he's got high asp- aspirations. Though, uh, to his credit, I don't see how such a big plane would not be noticed flying everywhere, but...
0: Well, I admit that's a that's a good detail, but... By the standards of a lot of the stuff we've watched... That's a minor thing. True enough. Besides, if you know what's on this plane,
1: uh, who would want to shoot it down? (laughs) Yeah.
0: So, the action returns on a speedboat, where Lupin and Jigen are signaling for Lonebok with Fujiko's discarded clothing, which is a little too much for the absent Goemon. Well, He had no problem flying his loincloth previously. I suppose characterization marches on.
1: Well, you know, there's a difference between his stuff and a
0: woman's necessities. Sure enough, Longbock arrives on a yacht with Fujiko wrapped in a blanket, and the trade seems to be about to be made. However, on the count of three, it's revealed that things are not what they seem. Yeah, that's not Fujiko. It's Zenigata in disguise. <laughs> Can't say he hasn't learned anything from all the times of chasing Lupin. Uh, turnabout is certainly fair play here. And I have to admit, the blanket was a clever touch, playing on Lupin's having seen her in considerable undress while hiding Pops's considerably different figure. Lombrock's a smart guy. A mob of cops storm Lupin's boat. I'm amazed it's even still floating at that point. It's kind of a great comedic uh, visual, I do have to admit. <laughs> Lupin tries to tell Xenagata the device is a detonator, but Lonebok passes it off as a prototype spark plug to improve his fuel efficiency.
1: Considering how it looks, it's a that's a pretty good response.
0: Yeah. Pretty good cover. And what's more, Lupin now tries to play the Fujiko card, saying she's LoneBok's hostage, but Pops says Fujiko called him to say Lupin won't leave her alone in Japan. <laughs> Must have been under duress. Yep. Either that, or a good sound-alike.
1: I, I, I'm assuming that Lombok either got her to make the call, or, uh, yeah, Lombok probably got her to make the call.
0: <laughs> Lupin is in it deep as the two ships part ways, and as he's loaded into the wagon, Zenigata says he's sick of the games between him and Lupin. He's gonna lock him up for life. Naturally. He and Jigen are thoroughly strip-searched, with Zenegata even finding a false foot on Lupin, while the thief still tries to get Pops to listen to the facts about the bomb.
1: I am amused that Jigen's hat qualifies
0: as underwear, because it's like the two things they give back that they show is underwear and Jigen's hat. <laughs> Zenegata still doesn't believe Lupin, as he rips off some hair, which is a disguised smoke bomb? Hey. When you're a master thief, you gotta get clever where you hide stuff. It's certainly one way to get them out of this jam. As the handcuffed crooks dash out in their underwear, and Jiggins hat, and Tandem run and jump away. Something tells me they've done this before under similar circumstances. Yes, actually, it's a
1: direct reference to
0: Castle of Cagliostro. Goemon is at the docks slicing their cuffs and covering their escape as Lupin and Jigen race to beat Longbok to his flight plan. Next, the <laughs> hangar opens on the massive albatross, and the engines start just as the show goes to commercial. Lupin third. Aye. I wonder if they paid the Jayward estate for that uh, timpani beat. <laughs> Back from break, Lupin and Jigen are moving to intercept, but Lupin's mighty leaps cannot get him on the aircraft. So they go back to the museum to find a plane to pursue them in. I, I do like the dub line there,
1: though. It's like, chasing a plane on a boat is stupid. Let's go back.
0: Well, it is. Yeah. <laughs> Leaping off the boat and letting it crash and detonate into a truck, they hurriedly look for a working plane and eventually take off, but not before Pops arrives and hitches a ride in his mad pursuit. Meanwhile, back with one buck. <laughs> yep. He wants to toast with a still-chained and exceedingly undressed Fujiko, who knows Lupin isn't giving up, and Lonebok is called to the bridge by his goons. I, I gotta give credit to Misazaki's
1: directing, because for keeping Fujiko pantless during this whole scene, they sure are really clever on how they cover her, keep her
0: covered the entire time. The goons are dispatched to fire at the smaller aircraft, And Zenigata realizes what's going on when he sees how much heat they're packing. Funny how the bad guy never tells the truth. Mm Mm-hmm. Jigen has to shoot down heat-seeking rockets with Pops' gun. And here is one of the better gags the team behind this dub have punched up. In the original Japanese, Zenigata only shouts that he doesn't have a spare clip. But in the dub, Pops protests that Jigen finished the clip, and the latter snarks that he's a little rusty. (laughs) Yeah, I'm a little rusty. Lupin's cheeky ways persist, even under machine gun fire, as he waves jollily to Fujiko as he passes by and gets hit, causing him to start losing fuel. And at that moment, Fujiko is summoned to the bridge by a guard, but she goads him closer with some taunts, so she can kick the gun out of his hand and get herself unchained. Grabbing a tablecloth to improvise a skirt, we discover the animators can't help but get cheeky in their own way, if you catch my drift. Nice. (laughs) But despite that, she's a one-woman wrecking machine on the goons, even taking out the gunners on the wings. It's nice for them to show that Fujiko's got quite a lot of skill on her own. Once she's done, she signals Lupin with the tablecloth, the same one she was using as a skirt. What a gal. (laughs) As the boys approach, Longbock sees his men escaping and realizes why as Fujiko opens fire on him. At her rate of fire, she'll wreck the plane completely. Which, uh, considering what's in it, oof. yeah. <laughs> Lupin goes in to grab her in his plane, and Longbock and goon stop it with some gunplay of their own. And now Longbock wants to scare her witless with a trick grenade, which, depending on the version, either he's using a smoke grenade, or he's... Uh, fiddled with the explosives to make it less potent. Either way, it doesn't go according to plan. No, which he is also... just lobs it back. Which is a cute gag, I gotta admit. And even cuter, Longbock tries to blow the grenade back away with his breath. Woo! Woo! And it blows up in their face and severs the central engine. I think I'm gonna cry. In his rage, Longbock is about to toss a bundle of grenades But Fujiko just shoots them, and they come loose, further damaging the albatross and revealing the bomb factory in the process to the surprise of the guys in the smaller plane. Also, after going through that explosion,
1: um, Lombok is looking more and more like a certain scientist that we know. A certain doctor.
0: One last go for Lupin as he dives in and does some more damage to both planes. Nope! Without their wings, the small craft crashes in on Fujiko, and the goons start to bail on the plane. I mean, I can't blame them. Nope. Lupin wakes up Fujiko to find the disaster zone they've created. Close encounters of the Lupin the Third Kind. Realizing they're just about alone, the group hurries to land the plane, but they're surrounded by mountains, so Lupin tells them to lighten the load so they can get some altitude. Chairs, beds, computers, refrigerators are all dumped on a bunch of mountaineers, and even almost Jigen thanks to their rush. And then they pull off an entire still wall. Yeah, they're running out of things to drop as they pull this wall-slash-door off, and they find Longbock gathering up his precious bombs.
1: Now he just straight up looks like Robotnik. <laughs>
0: yeah. They are a good means of keeping the protagonist back but once he bolts, Zenigata pursues to make sure he's brought to justice. They both drop from the plane, and Zenigata isn't convinced those are real bombs as they parachute down. We could always detonate one to find out. No! (laughs) For all their efforts, the albatross gets enough air to rise, and the gang spots a lake. Relieved, Fujiko hugs Lupin, and he pets her hair to find plans for a detonator in them. That's Fujiko, all right. Yep. She's got no scruples as long as she's got money. Lupin hands it to Jigen to dispose, and gives Fujiko a no-hard-feelings kiss, which she doesn't much appreciate. Hmm. And we close on the shredded-up plans tossed to the wind. So suffice to say, Lupin Third was really peaking in the late 70s and early 80s. In addition to this ambitious television series, there were the two aforementioned feature films, Mystery of Mamo and Castle of Cagliostro, each released within just about a year of each other. Yep.
1: Which is really impressive considering how good for its time uh, Cagliostro looks.
0: This would also be the era Lupin arrived in the world of video games with a maze game from Taito. Pemi, the floor is yours. It's...
1: An interesting game, I'll say that. Which, also, Lupin seems to wear his uh, grandfather's top hat in this game for some reason. Probably just to make the uh, graphic look more separated from everything else, because this was done back in the Space Invaders day. But, pretty much, the plot of the game is you're Lupin, you have to steal money from a bank while dodging guards, seemingly French guards, and Zenigata. But you get slower with each bag of money you grab at once, It's not a great game, but it's for its time, it's pretty inventive and pretty ahead of its time, I'll say that. Also, you get scenes of uh, Lupin, little cutscenes of Lupin being kicked by Fujiko saying that she wants more money because, of course. (laughs) I have a whole video on that on my arcade funhouse show on my YouTube channel, Artificial Orange
0: Studios. So uh, if you want to hear more about that game, I'd recommend checking that out. And hey, if you're watching this podcast on YouTube, we should have a link in the notes below. Also, it would be this era where Lupin made his unofficial U.S. arcade debut with footage used in the American Laserdisc game Cliffhanger.
1: Yeah, which is arguably, I guess, the first dub of Lupin, technically. Even though he's not called Lupin, he's called Cliffhanger. ha. That game uses mostly footage from Castle of Cagliostro, but supplements it with some footage from Mystery of Momo as well, which is kind of weird because those art styles are completely
0: different. <laughs> but as for the show, how do you follow this? The third Lupin series began in 1985, but between the end of the second and the beginning of the third, there was an attempt at a spin-off in 1982 called Lupin the Eighth. This was intended to follow descendants of several of the characters. And while a single episode's animation was apparently completed, the show never got a step further than that, thanks yet again to the estate of Maurice LeBlanc, wanting massive royalties for the use of the Lupin name for broadcast in France. You see, the reason France would be a broadcast network is because the animation company contracted was our old friends at Deke. For those who don't
1: know, Deke started as a French company before they started doing
0: stuff in America. Mm-hmm. Which, that's a long story all on its own. So, suddenly, Deke has all this budget allocated for a big deal series, and nothing to work on with it. So, they wound up doing a cartoon with an inspector, but not Zenigata. So, if it weren't for the LeBlanc estate, Inspector Gadget would have missed it by that much. Yeah, it's kind of funny
1: to know that Inspector Gadget has ties to Loop in the Third. Supposedly, one of the stories is that while it was produ- being produced, uh, some of the animators at TMS would use Zenigata uh, as a placeholder for <laughs> Inspector Gadget and some of the storyboards and stuff.
0: Go figure.
1: Uh, weird thing though, I used to actually have a download of the animation for that one episode of Loop in the Eighth. It doesn't have any dubbed dialogue; it's just the animation. It looked interesting they had the uh Jigen's descendant with uh with a sucker in his mouth instead of a cigarette so
0: taking a page from kojak
1: yeah <laughs> and and long before they decide to edit sanji in one piece
0: <laughs> well but, uh, i think that just about does it unless you've got anything else to add well, they you did mention they eventually would follow up with the uh,
1: third Lupin TV series, which is referred to as the Pink Jacket series because he wears a pink jacket because it's, you know, the 80s. <laughs> that series would be worth taking a look at it sometime because while not as popular as the Red Jacket series, it's a very interesting beast. It kind of tries to be a little bit more like the manga and it gets very surreal.
0: <laughs> All right. Hopefully, we'll find some place for it in the schedule.
1: The uh, first TV series is also worth looking at, which I do like the first TV series quite a bit, but I will admit it's not exactly aged
0: the best. So, there is that. Personally, I'm curious to see Fujiko's spinoff series. The the woman named Fujiko Mine. Yep. Oh, jeez, I've been mispronouncing her wrong the whole time. Fluctuates. <laughs> mine, mine, I've heard... It depends on who's doing the dub, honestly. Well, what's I mean, is mine, and you know what else is mine? What? This breakfast cereal I'm about to chow down on. Folks, thanks so much for tuning in. If you're watching on YouTube, be sure to like, comment, subscribe, all those great things. If you have a podcatcher that s- supports it, leave us a review. And we will see you in October. See ya! The penny to the sort of hopefully funny cartoon. The preceding podcast is a co-production of the Mighty Monkey Corporation and Artificial Orange Studios. The theme song is written, composed, and performed by Shawn Michael Smith.